this whole day can suck a thousand fucking dicks. Hog with Mike Bridenstine is brought to you by No Coast Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. We should take a knee for the last three minutes to force this cheap fuck to buy Zoom. Mike knows like so, like the biggest names comedy dude. You gotta see this guy's fucking show list. He like has like the biggest names on uh, in comedy on his on his show. It's kind of unreal, Mike, how you do that. The best po- panel pod on the internet. And this is what the show's about, Nick. That we're, we have our finger on the pulse of America's uh, <laughs> trends. Obama is the actual devil. Crocodile Dundee was cool. Yeah, welcome to Hunk with Mike Bridenstine. Shout out Rick Gonzalez, shout out Bad Planet, shout out Non-Taken Podcast, shout out No Coast Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I'm in Texas, or at least I will be when this comes out. So instead of the panel this week, I'm going to give you an interview that I did with one of my favorite comedians, Kyle Kinane. I'm going to guess that if you're listening to this, you know who he is. If not, I'm excited for you. Go find all of his specials, starting with Death of the Party, and you're fucking welcome. But for the rest of you, I'm currently working on an oral history of the Chicago alt scene from 1996 to 2008. I'm trying to do a book, but I've been releasing the interviews on Patreon. But for this, I thought I'd give you an hour of Kanane's interview today since I'm on the road. And next week, I'm going to give you another one of my absolute favorite comedians, Nick Vaderot. But Kanane is today. And we start by talking about Mark Geary's Red Lion open mic in Chicago, where Kyle started around 1999. So without further ado, here's one of the very, very best, Kyle Kinane. Go ahead and hit subscribe. Let's clean up our narc monitor. Oh, <laughs> uh, what's up, man? Good to see you. Thank you for doing this. When you start when you started going there from Addison, I think, mm-hmm. uh, where were you going? to watch the shows to all the mics or just to red Lion and the den? I, well, cause I mean, I told you like I started cause I saw an ad in the newspaper that the Aspen, the HBO comedy festival was like, we're doing open auditions for standups at Zany's. And I'd never done stand up and didn't know anything about it. And I was like, man, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna try stand up. Cause I like, I didn't know, like being in the suburbs, there was like a club on route 83 North Avenue, but I didn't know about Zanies and I didn't know about the comedy clubs. Right. I knew nothing about stand up other than I'd watch it on TV. Yeah. And I thought it was cool, but I didn't know where it happened. <laughs> and, and, you know, maybe they had to do with living in the suburbs and not seeing like not driving by a comedy club or going by a bar that has an open mic night. That's you didn't have that shit in the suburbs. Right. You had karaoke. That's it. You had karaoke or fucking Kino. Yeah. And so that's, I went to the, I saw the thing, the open casting call for that. And everybody got three minutes. I'm like, I probably pulled three minutes out of my ass. Went and it was like comics were from like Minneapolis, Michigan. I didn't realize about the comedy, like the U S comedy arts festival and asked how big it was. And so these were like all the regional heavy hitters were down there to do three minutes at Zany's in the middle of the day. And I got like, multiple parking tickets on a car because i didn't even know about paying i'm like they don't check these i got several hundred dollars which my mom fought because i kept putting different addresses where the car was parked like how could it be at all these addresses parked in one spot so shout out to deb for shout getting out to deb. that knocked out and but then that was it i did my three minutes and then i was going to columbia and john Berger, johnny Berger, was in one of my classes and i'd seen him at that thing yeah 
And I was like, hey man, you did this Zanies thing. How, where do you do comedy at? And he's like, oh, you gotta go to open mics. And he's the one who told me, he's like, there's these listings, you, you can go to the Chicago Reader and check the listings, but the ones that I would say go to, it, there was like, it was uh, the Wednesday night, which was Cherry Red, or it was called Elevated. something else when I was going there. Oh, uh, Philosophers? It was Wednesday nights there, it was Tuesday nights at Monkey Bar, and it was Thursday nights at the Red Lion. Yeah. That he told me about. And so I started going to Red Lion. I forget why. I think it was like my one buddy who wasn't doing comedy but was willing to go sit and watch comedy. That was the night that was available. It was like t- towards the weekend, you know? So right. Thursday nights, I would go to the Red Lion. And it was summer of 99. And I was just watching. I remember just earlier in, in 1999 is when I did that HBO thing. And then I was just going and watching on Thursday nights for a while. I can't remember how long, but just to see how it operated you know i'd learned enough i think of like wanting to be the guy that like oh i don't know how this is but let me just walk right into it like (laughs) no i think i really like comedy and i want to treat this with the respect and reverence it deserves so let me watch and see how it goes and it was red line was on lincoln avenue in lincoln park i think they may have recently reopened it it was two stories a restaurant in the basement bar at the top and stop me if i'm i don't know what details you want out of this but i've just give me whatever whatever you want whatever you want yeah oh i i loved that place because it was like it was like it seemed like it was a neat bar Mm -hmm. and then on top was like also two super muscle dudes were the bartenders and it was a tiny bar it was so tiny and these two jack motherfuckers would be the ones running the bar and they were fun and also like this place is totally haunted. So it was two <laughs> muscle dudes side by side at like a tiny service bar telling you ghost stories. And then it did seem like the most well attended, like of the open mics that we go watch, that seemed like the most well attended, the one people were excited about. Yeah. Cause Mark Geary ran a great show. Even if it was an open mic, he still ran it. Like would get in there and put up a stage with a curtain and lights. Like he would produce the show and that, mattered so much it changes the attitude of like oh this is like a real thing i want to do good on this and the room was the room was probably as big as this bedroom it felt like you could maybe fit 15 20 people sitting at tables in the back room yeah when the show was going on but that's where it was like if Dwayne kennedy came in everybody was like all right everybody shut the fuck up Dwayne kennedy's on stage Bill O'Donnell's going to take his ass out on the patio and walk back and forth while somebody else is on stage. Uh, and it was. You bumped so him, by much... the way. What's that? You bumped him for I... for this, by the way. I bumped Bill O'Donnell? Yeah. Well, he, he bumped my first girlfriend in comedy. Uh, so, you know what, Bill? Much love. Go fuck yourself. I don't care. I don't give a shit. That was almost the reason I quit comedy, too, was walking up to the Red Lion after that debacle and then hearing them having their wedding reception at the open mic on a Thursday night. As I was walking up the street, I'm like, I got to get back to comedy, man. I can't let this beat me. And then I heard I forgot they were having their party at the open mic. I just got back in my car and drove back to the suburbs. (laughs) I was like, well, not tonight, buddy. (laughs) Did you know it? did it that uh something like then he like just 
told the the priest to fuck himself or like did something that was like yeah he's a edgy but not I edgy mean, but not funny by the way the, yeah Gary was telling me about that bar which I never went to but like the guy who owned the bar was like the movie The Great Escape he was like one of the prisoners that like tunneled out of there or something well that's funny because one of the where one of the ghosts were was like there was a tunnel to go down to get to like the supply shed in the back there was a tunnel underneath and those are the guys like i hate doing that shit at night, man. <laughs> like these jack dudes are just i uh, really hate i hate having to go down there <laughs> they're all and they weren't like trying to scare anybody they were just legit like oh, i hate that i hate that tunnel <laughs> when when i saw um that hall of fame like the red line hall of fame thing like gary made a spreadsheet that was like yeah. all the people that did it the most and you were on there um, he told me that Bryce approached him, Pat Bryce approached him and was like, Hey Gary, like that Pat had shown up to do comedy for the first time ever in 2000 at that show. And Gary told him to hit the bricks cause they were doing hall of fame night, <laughs> which much love to Gary for being like, no, I'm making a special night for people. I'm sorry. It's not an open mic tonight. Um, but, it, it had, like, such a good vibe. Like, I watched all the people that you're probably going to cover in this podcast about, like, who's who in Chicago. If they were around at that time, that felt like the show, like, that people wanted to do really good at. Because it still had, yeah. of the, t- like, 15, 20, however many people could fit in there, it was an audience. Yeah. Or if it was comics, it was comics sitting there and laughing at the show, not just being shitty and looking at their notes. They could go downstairs to the other bar for that. Was there anything that that was like aspirational for you? Like, were you trying to get booked at Elevated, or was that like something that you wasn't like? No, I didn't. I had no idea about. I just. It, I had no idea about what would be more in common. I I still don't. I'm still like at a level like what? Wait, what? It's still you're still doing the same thing. Like, I wonder if this will work, and saying a thing off a piece of paper. <laughs> 22 years later but it was it was definitely like uh i I just wanted to see and once i saw how many different styles of like what people were doing like mike olson was just doing this weird goofy abstract shit that was cool and the dudes that like you know the guys that clearly like shappy that got kicked out of the poetry didn't get kicked out of the poetry scene but clearly wanted to do sillier more fun things that the literary community maybe wasn't embracing. So then they moved into stand up, and then you had music guy. You had like Bill Little who looked like a roadie for the doors from 1971 doing like weird jump. Like this guy could just go get laid if he wanted to it's like to see those guys that like, you don't have to do this. Like to see losers do comedy. It's like, yeah, we, we need this. But to see like somebody like cool hot dude, and not do cool hot dude comedy, do like weird. <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing this? You you could just do anything. Um, but because there's like five minutes, you didn't have to get a band together. You didn't have to be like, like here I got some weird ideas that I think are funny. I mean, shit, Rob Wheeler, yeah, was this maniac? Like that was just so much energy and just a crazy lunatic that was so much fun to watch and i still quote some of his bits he's on that hall of fame sheet he he had one where like he had a real funny bit but then he would just 
you could tell he forgot and he's like yeah i got here you want to fix uh potholes on the toll road i'll tell you what you take a change fuck the toll booth throw the change right in the pothole be fixed by 4 p.m i got toilet paper and look you could tell that was the start of another bit that he forgot but his energy just steamrolled through what he was gonna say and everybody but it's one of those things where he got everybody so excited that just I got toilet paper. Be like, I don't even know what he's talking about. This is the greatest thing I've ever seen. And it was that kind of vibe more often than not. Um, I would, and I would see people that sucked come back week after week. That's what I watched more. Right. The people, the people that would fail week after week. So I'm like, well, I got to be better than that guy. I'm not going to be good. But if this guy can keep coming back without encouragement, I can at least try this. So did you ever bomb at the den, go outside and have Monty convince you to not quit comedy? Um, not unsolicited. I mean, I'm, I'm friends with Monty. <laughs> my, well, I'll say if anybody dislikes my comedy, I've said it before, blame Dwayne Kennedy and Monty. Cause after my first time at red lion, they were like, Hey man, that was that was fun. Like it wasn't great, but I had a couple bits that got laughs, and they were both like, "You should come back and keep doing this. That's funny." And so it was their encouragement. Okay, that that's kept me the going. story. Okay, that's the story. I guess. Then. Yeah, it was like them noticing, like, "Oh, you really? You're not just here to fuck around. Like you wrote jokes and want to be good at this. Not like you. Like people tell me." I'm the funny friend. And they, they get up there like, you ever been at a party and fucking Robbie's over there thumbing his butthole, not talking to chicks and weirding everybody out? And he's like, get this guy out of here. He's a rapist. But then you see somebody that came in that like thought about comic. Like, I wrote these jokes. It might not be funny, but I'm trying to work on structure and everything. Did, so. There's a story that people tell, and I wanted your take on it. Um, Monty got banned forever from the elevated a few people besides Monty have told the story, but he goes up and he goes unsolicited. You had no idea, but he goes, I want to put up this guy who's this young guy. Like you got to mm-hmm. see him. His name's going to be in lights, Kyle Kinane. And then you had to go up. Like what was going through your head at that moment? My, yeah. Monty's like, I'm going to give this guy some of my time. And I thought it was like, I was like, Oh wow. What? He was like, don't go smoke. He was like, don't go to the bathroom. Right? I was like, Oh, and I was like, okay. And I had like my few one-liners and it was, it was fun. But I didn't realize that, you know, Kane who ran the elevated had a, let's say an affinity for control. And that, that uh, really upset him. Like, I, I don't know how, if Monty got banned or, or just got kind of roughhoused about it from Kane. A little bit of both. I think, I think that he's, told him not to come back and so like he showed up like years later and he let him in but he told him not to come back (laughs) he had a great story about getting banned from the lodge too for convincing drunken petrovka as a santa claus to tackle the variety act or something like that too yeah which really that's that's bad all right that one's bad but then who got like but monty got bad like not it's again, was it a call to action? It's a, did he incite the incident or was it? Were you there when he tried to murder? Uh, yeah, I remember that one. Oh yeah, two guys two guys with unspoken last names getting upset about uh, 
Yeah. Like, saying the last like, name. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Is showbiz dead naming each other. <laughs> <laughs> giving giving away each other's entertainment dead names. C- civilian dead naming. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was there for that one. And that was like but honestly and I like but did stuff where I was like if somebody was gonna beat up I'm like, well, yeah, that's the logical conclusion to your behavior. <sighs> yeah. Like, listen, Andy Kaufman had a, a lot more success than you, and people wanted to punch him in the face all the time. I, Mike Stanley yeah. punched in the face in my bedroom in 2006. And I we, will shake Mike Stanley's hand for that. And this is also still liking but hearing a story like that and knowing just track record of what he considered comedy that sounds that sounds correct <laughs> that sounds like a result a, a, a not unexpected and not undeserved result of of his actions did you ever do zanies i would do guest spots because Martine was cool uh, as hell. Yeah. Martine, the manager at Zanies, was cool. And the staff was cool as hell. As far as anybody else working at Zanies, I'll say Martine was cool as hell and the staff was cool as hell. And they would let me come. If I came down and tried to do another open mic or whatever, or I would just come to the city and like see what was going on, they would always let me hang out and like watch the show from the back mm. and would let me do guest spots if, if it was okay with a headliner and stuff. And that's really, I think I performed there under the context of being a listed performer at Zanies twice. Okay. I think I did two headlining, not festivals, not, but like being booked at Zanies as a headliner coming back twice. And it was, uh, Oh, but coming, you never did it while you lived there, right? No, because their, their model at the time was we have our collection of MCs who do not rock the boat. Right. They're bubbly, they're fun. They do they do the the a good job as an MC, but as a stand up, it's like they're not challenging anybody. It's like they're but they're hey everybody, how's it going? And, and that's that's a valuable skill to have. Right. Uh as an MC, but you know, it's nobody's going, man, that was a, a fun those were great jokes. What I'm learning is um, that a lot of those guys were just like during the heyday of all the clubs and stuff, those guys had like exclusive contracts at Zanies, and then all the other clubs like closed, and those guys like were loyal, so they got rewarded. I mean, there's loyalty is not a bad thing, but if it's loyalty not because it's mutually beneficial and it's out of respect, but it's loyalty out of fear, then that's that's doesn't work. So, right, all I knew of Zanies is that. Martine would let me do guest spots, but whenever it was like, oh, who's going to be an MC? I was a horrible MC also. I can't blame them. I had shit energy. <laughs> I would have made a bad, I would have made a horrible MC. But then therefore, because I couldn't go through the hierarchy of MC to feature the headliner, I was never going to work at Zanies. But what the fuck happens if you got anybody outside of that mold of happy, fun MC then you won't alley you people to feature because of how you think politics are with comedy of like, well, you got to do this first, right. but this specific job, right. You know, how are you going to serve tables? If you don't know how to cook the food, I'm like, I'm a bad cook. I could be better at this other thing. Yeah. But you got to do this first. 
but it's they can like not looking at it in an artistic and unique sense, but like like assembly line. Yeah, paying your dues. You need to be a good MC yeah. to be a good comic, and I don't believe that at all. So I just never tried. Um, I never tried to work at Zany's. Once I left, it seemed like they were giving more people, more locals. Think. Also, they never had an open mic, and I remember that being yeah. because they didn't want anybody to perform at the open mic at Zany's because then they could just go around saying they performed at Zany's. Well, guess fucking what? They could just say that any. <laughs> people could just lie. I remember I was in college and I did a Star Search audition in 2003. Drove to Chicago, mm-hmm. di- did the cattle call, did the like the three minutes. And I came back, and one of the touring features was like, you can say you did Zanies now. And I remember thinking that was fucked up. And I don't want to shit talk it too much. I mean, it is an sure. institution. But the fact that they <clears throat> bought into how much clout they think they had, instead of just being cool. There's so many examples of a club nurturing a local scene. But Comedy Works in Denver, uh, uh, Punchline and Cobbs in San Francisco, uh, the Heliums. Anytime I work at a Helium, it's all local people and doing whatever they want on stage. It's not, they're not like, hey, remember, do the announcements, but really not being, as far as I can tell, being policed as far as what they can say or what kind of material they could do. And all you're doing, in my opinion, and I don't own a comedy club, so I'm not looking at numbers, I'm just looking at a scene, is if you nurture these local acts. You want to bring loyalty out of respect yeah. and admiration. Yeah. That's how you get it. Not if you work somewhere else, you can't work here. That's loyalty out of fear, and that'll crumble. Now, But now any Denver comic is like, yes, our club, Comedy Works, it's the best club in the world. We throw on a festival. The club acts, asks, how can we help you run your festival? How can we assist? You want us to let the headliner that weekend know that if they want to drop in, they could do it? It's like, And guess what? Every comedian... Anytime. What's one of the best clubs? Comedy Works in Denver, Punchline in San Francisco, all the same clubs. Yeah. Because they, and they nurtured, and they made these great comics. These amazing comics came out of those scenes because, hey, this guy's kind of weird, but I think he'd go with this headliner well. And they're getting exposure. They're giving exposure to these people. So when they do leave and go to LA or New York, they come back and are so happy to come back and play their home club. How many big time headliners left Chicago and come back and play Zany? I'm just saying, like, look at, all the names that you, this whole podcast about Chicago comedy, how many people left? How many people go to Zany's when they come back? I would guess. Yeah. No. So, but don't you think that one of my hypothesis statements is that if you do believe that there was something special about the Chicago scene that you list yourself and <clears throat> however many people you want to list to impress like a comedy mm-hmm. fan, like, I think that the absence of a club scene was important. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, yeah, everybody's going to be like, yeah, Geary, we owe a lot to Geary for busting his ass to put on his shows. Every, like, I mean, when I come back, I'll, I, you know, I'm lucky enough. I get to play larger venues. Right. But anytime Geary asked me, like, you know, help me, like, can we promote the club or anything? You got it, man. Let me know what I can do to help, what I can do to plug, let people know that Lincoln Lodge is still going strong or, or trying to go strong in spite of everything that's going on. Got a weed whacker right up my window right now, so that might be coming through real quick. Really interrupts the fucking uh, real poignant uh, response I was about to have here. 
Uh, <laughs> he's, he just, we're just working on the one bush. When you guys were at Bible school, there. did you have it in your head that you guys were doing like the hip thing and Zanies was the square thing or anything like that? Did you think you were doing alt comedy or was it just like you said, like, I don't know. I just w- was going up with jokes and seeing like what worked. Well, it, I mean, when Zanies, like I saw Hedberg at Zanies and the Hedberg, I guess would be considered alt, but he's just a comedian that other comedians like. Yeah. And that, the room itself is great. I yeah. mean, it's got, yeah. there's, there's a soul to buildings and especially things like live venues or just, I'd say even red, like, like there's a vibe you can get going into a place where you can kind of feel the history and the energy of a place, not to get too hippy about it, but you can feel the energy of a room. Zany's as far as a comedy room is, is good. You know, you got all the pictures, you got all that kind of stuff on there. And again, Martine making fun announcements and playing old Madonna songs because he wants to, and the staff being cool and knowing how to navigate. It's like being in a submarine in there and you're yeah. still getting drinks and everything getting to where they need to be yeah i always it thought if i was if i wasn't on stage i felt like i was in the way oh i was always like trying to like you know schwarzenegger and predator myself into a wall <laughs> to just not interrupt anything yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it was like being on a ship uh but i didn't i mean it didn't feel alternative a little bit because i mean like bible school was still at second city yeah it was still in the second city building red lion was like okay these things happen in bars and rooms that have live spaces and i'd already been playing music so i mean i'd been in the fucking dumps to play music and comedy hadn't made its way into the true shitholes that i was playing at yet so it still kind of felt official like Whereas my mom, who will support anything I do ever, would be like, I would always would be at the fireside just drinking Bud Light, getting drunk with my friends. And like, so she was all right. So if I would take her like, oh, Second City. I'm like, yeah, but it's like a black box theater. She's like, it's going to be better than the fireside. Let's go see you. Like, I think I drank with your mom and your aunt at the lodge once. And I remember liking them. That sounds likely. <laughs> Which, oh, man, was my Aunt Marcia? Oh. I don't know. I don't know for sure. My, uh, no, yeah, she would have been the one that, that came out to it. She she passed away last week, so R.I.P. Aunt Marcia. Are you serious? Oh, my God. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, think about it. That about was that. 15, however many years ago. But, yeah, they yeah. Were, my mom's always good for <clears throat> giving smokes to everybody. Every comic that walks outside. That's how she meets all the comics. She's the last person who still smokes. <laughs> And somebody goes outside, like, can I get a cigarette? She's, like, more than happy to give him cigarettes. She scared the shit out of me one time. I was playing it up, which is in Second City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we all go to Old Town. And my parents are in the 70s. And I'll still just go to Old Town Ale House and sit there and drink. But my mom, like, we're in, like, Old Town. Chicago's a segregated city. Yeah. Old Town is, like, white. Second City there and all that shit. It's, like, the one black dude working the door at old town ale house and my mom's like i forgot his name i think it's jamal i'll just call him jamal i'm like what the fuck are you doing right now and it's like she she's like no it's brian i talked to him calm down <laughs> like but you're like don't guess black people's names for the love of god 
do not do that. But for that one, she got me. Normally, I was like, that's what she's going to do. She's like, no, I know I'm crying. I was just trying to yeah, when I'm old, I can't wait to fuck with, uh, when I'm older, I should say. I can't wait to fuck with. Yeah. Her. I'm 41. That's plenty old. Yeah, but she's out. Yeah, so she is just, everybody knows her. If you, bu- if you bummed a, a cigarette off an old woman in front of one of my shows, it was my mom. <laughs> <laughs> and it will be my mom. Uh, when Anytime did, uh, I play Chicago. When did the den get good? When the Red Lion ceased to exist? <clears throat> or did it? kind of happened because like Gary told me that they kind of started at the same time and everybody kind of knows that like three ring circus like weird history like do you know remember when that when the den got good I remember it being called the three ring circus and it was Dan Kaufman Klinger was Klinger one of them I thought it was there was a guy that was a kind of older and he was kind of did magic and Tim stuff. Adams with a Z Tim a- Tim Adams and the Klinger was the other one? Yeah. There was a guy named like Jeff Carpenter that nobody remembers who was the improv guy. I think I remember it being like, it was tough for me because it, it was like Monday night. So yeah. it'd be like after a weekend of partying and the first day back at work, I was usually kind of like, all right, let's go check it out. You love comedy. So get off your ass and go do it. And it, I would get there and it would just be dead. And I was like, yeah. I always had to factor in travel time, sleeping, you know, kind of shape I was in like the commute for a five minute spot to nobody weighed in a lot. Sure. I, I'm trying to think of what really turned it over. Weirdly enough, nine 11 show had a lot of people showing up to open mics. Cause I think that was the first uh, major experience for a generation of people yeah. that were like, I better go to college and get a job and feeling unfulfilled. And then this, uh, you know, that nine 11 happening made people really reprioritize what they want to do with their lives. So I saw a lot of people show up to shows either to watch and live and have a fun time or to participate. Cause it was like, fuck, I work in an office building and I'm unhappy and that could just be the end of it. Like, Oh, cool. I'm in debt and I'm middle management. Oh, I'm going to fall to my death. You know what? I've always wanted to try stand-up. I think I'd better go do that now. Do you think that's what happened after the housing crash? And do you think that that's going to happen after COVID? You think that you think there's an influx in when was, so housing crash was 2007. I started comedy within a year of nine 11. I don't know. I can't, I have no way of knowing if it was, had anything to do with that or not. Cause I loved, I was going to do, I just didn't have anywhere to do it that I knew of. I mean, I went to, uh, September 12th was a Wednesday. I went to elevated cause I didn't know where else to go. And all my friends, I'm like, all my friends are still just getting stoned and being like, fucking whatever things are fucked. I'm like, I need, I, my sense of community was, yeah, I'm going to go to the comedy show. It wasn't a show, but it was everybody sitting around just yeah having to talk about life. And it felt good. Like yeah. it felt good. I think, like comedians are already willing to dump out their emotions for strangers. So it seemed like likely that at that time, that's when I was really hanging out with Matt Andrews, uh, RIP another one. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Matt Andrews was like my, my buddy in the scene and we were going to move to LA that we were going to move to LA together. Like 
2002 or so. But so we had been pounding around, like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm going to go to the elevator and see what's up. So we went there on the Wednesday after it. But then after that, I saw more people hanging around comedy. Yeah. So I think that had something to do with it. He he would yeah. play he would play poker, but I, I think I've met him. But like he was like a guy that was just kind of like, I was too scared to talk to everybody, you know. Well, he he did uh, cast a, an imposing thing. He's like six four. Yeah, I think I was probably like pretty just, scared of him. Yes, six four and crazy <laughs> eyes. Yeah, like he was part of that. We all got really into like Fight Club, but just slapping the shit out of each other <laughs> for a while. Yeah, like it was yeah. me and Andrews in the back of the Hedberg show <laughs> punching each other in the mouth, <laughs> and then we went to go CJ CJ and uh, Andy Lurie were doing a show at Mother's together, and we got there yeah, or some I don't know we got there after the Hedberg show, and it's Mother's so everybody's like I don't think you're allowed in that place unless you've been overserved at another bar. That's on right. Rush Street, like you can't come in sober. I think is how it works. And so we were just in there slapping the shit out of each other. And the employees are like, "You guys seem like fucking idiots. Have some more shots. Don't see you guys really beat the shit out of each other." <laughs> so, but, but yeah, yeah. Andrews was my pal at the time, and uh, I'm trying to think of like why the influx was. Also, I think comedy was just getting more exposure. Like in '99, comedy was still like not a cool thing. And yeah. I think over the course of the next couple of years, I'm trying to think of what pinpointed it. John I Roy, say it was... uh, John Roy is like, there was nothing between jamming in New York by Carlin and bring the pain by Chris rock. And I, if I recall, like he did, Chris rock was the big 90 end of the nineties comedian. Yeah. And then like blue collar comedy tour and fucking uh, Kings of comedy. There was like Mr. Say, Show and stuff, but oh, Mr. Shaw, say over your left shoulder, Mitch Hedberg, and I'll yeah. say it was David Tell. David Tell yeah. skanks from the memories yeah. because David, his um, uh, what was his show called? Insomniac. Yeah, and that was like, oh, this guy's just a fun party dude yeah. that drinks, and it's fun, and it's not like material about my wife, material about the office. It was material that was either weirdo wordplay, like Hedberg, yeah. which kind of let artists think that stand-up could be cool. Like this guy's literary and like a weirdo. So that got musicians and people that weren't going to like the square club comedy stuff. And then a tell got eventually uh, to a fault, got like the frat guy stuff, but like the party dudes of like, Oh, this shit's real funny. Like we're all like this guy, except you're not right. You're not maybe, maybe a couple of them are quick enough. Yeah. But like the, I just want to make fun of people and not be mean, but come up with real clever ways to insight. That's I was, I felt like I was in both camps cause I liked writing yeah. wordplay bits, Yeah. but my friends were all funnier than I was. And the best nights we have are like just busting each other's balls, but cleverly. And, you made me remember everybody was doing Hedberg or Attell, it seemed like, at like yep, a certain point. Yep. Oh, yeah. I, I was, was doing I was Hedberg. The, I was doing I was firmly in the Hedberg he- camp. Yeah. <laughs> firmly in the Hedberg yeah. camp. It's a good camp. <laughs> well, it's like I, I, I can figure out how these word, words work, and then I'm going to use that shy persona yeah. because I am scared of being on stage with these dumb jokes. Yeah. You can't do Hedberg jokes with like a weird confidence, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's Kyle. Go ahead and hit subscribe. There's still more show, but if you want video of Kanane and video of a ton more shows, that is on the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Brido, B-R-I-D-O. You can go there if you just want to support the show, which means me. I am the person who works at the show. There are World Series reviews. I posted my 19th Chicago Comedy History Project bonus show this week with Bill O'Donnell. We talked about him briefly on this one. But he's one of the most mythic and influential performers in Chicago comedy history. He might have been the wildest comic in the country in the late 90s and early 2000s. So go get that. Patreon.com slash Brido. Also, I wanted to remind you that on July 17th, that is the next Carport Comedy Show in Eagle Rock. Also, I'm on the Fresh Hair Comedy Show on July 31st in Echo Park. The panel returns in two weeks. Okay, we'll get right back to Kyle right after a brief word from our sponsors. This show is brought to you by No Coast Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Urbandale, Iowa. Learn to defend yourself. Get back in shape. COVID made you way less hot. That can be fixed by black belt instructor and bona fide hunk Jared Barr. He's been on the show. If you're in the Des Moines area, stop getting your ass kicked. Go, go, Plata, the fuck out of life until it taps. No Coast Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Tell them Brido sent you. Hi, this is Dustin with None Taken Podcast. And I have listened to Hunk with Mike Bridenstine. Hey, it's Alan with None Taken. I also have listened to Hunk with Mike Bridenstine. And you clearly listen to Hunk with Mike Bridenstine, so maybe you might like our show, too. We post weekly episodes covering current events and sharing way too much of our tragic personal lives. Give us a listen. You can find us wherever you found Hunk with Mike, or go to our website, nuntakenpod.com. And now, back to the world's greatest panel. Thank you, Dustin and Alan. Now. Here's the thrilling conclusion of Kyle Kinane. Go ahead and hit subscribe. When you started, by the way, how would you describe your look? I've gotten a lot of hilarious uh, people to like describe, like unprovoked by me. They'll just go like, oh, you got to remember when Kyle showed up, then they'll describe you. How would you describe what you were going for? I'm sure I was just a fucking asshole. I, try, I thought I was a real cool guy. And then I was like, oh, man, I'm coming from uh, music world. Let me show these nerds what's up. <laughs> Let me show these, these dorks how it's done. And I just look like a fucking asshole. I was like, I don't think it overlapped too, like with a mild rockabilly slash garage rock look I was trying to pull off, but not with skill. So just real stupid hair. Like, like that's changed. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I, I I just I used a lot of leather jackets and or like I I really I really wanted to be confused for someone in social distortion. Okay. I really wanted people to know that like, hey man, I'm not really uh about this stand up thing. Like I'm gonna drop by, but uh <laughs> this guy, he's actually pretty cool. Uh anyway, I gotta get out of here because I gotta get uh back home. Otherwise, uh Dinner's gonna get cold that my mom made. So, but anyway, real cool guy. He's got a hightail at twenty five miles west to get home to his mom and dad. That's so funny. Like if somebody would have said to you, like, "Hey, buddy, this is the comedy show, the cool uh, punk clubs next door," you'd have been like, "All right." But then thinking like everybody looking like, look at this fucking dork, like being oblivious to that 
that's I'm absolutely sure. There's but I did see other there was other cool guys in comedy. Like Bill Little was like a looked like a cool rock and roll dude. I mean, Dwayne Kennedy, massive head of dreadlocks, just cool like a glass of red wine. He was cool. Like he wasn't you know, everybody else just looked like a a fucking schlub and I'm like I'd still like to like be able to talk to girls after the show if it goes well. Like I still want to look. Never mind the whole factor that like where are we gonna go to hook up? Uh, nowhere because I have to go home to the suburbs. But I just I didn't want to dress like a comedian. I didn't want to have like a, a wacky t-shirt. Yeah, wacky t-shirt and a hoodie. Like I'm like I'm like all right. The jokes are one thing, but if I can also try to stand out in a different way. Um, I wanted to ask you because you're one of the my, you were one of my favorite people on the haha board, so I wanted your take on that fucking Yahoo list thing. Oh, I'm sure you've already explained what it is within the context of this show. Yeah, man, I, what a what a rotten place. I talked to Lurie and I talked to Dave Odd about it. <laughs> Some say Lurie's still typing uh, responses. <laughs> I wish Andy that Lurie. anybody oh. would get how fucking funny that joke is. That was just for me. But, uh, yeah, he would write a Harry Potter novel every fucking time that he had to respond to something. Imagine knowing the phrase too long didn't read back then. Yeah. Just he really would. Uh, verbose is not uh, verbose isn't a long enough word to describe <laughs> how much he would uh respond i mean good good for somebody that could sit in how many novels that guy has in his mind but anyway <sighs> yeah he would respond with some long shit nobody'd read and then dave odd was just a fucking criminal that came in and people like me who didn't quite know his history or the clarity of it like all right well I don't know what that was that you did, but you're booking shows and I'm a comedian. I want stage time. But then most everybody's like, Oh, well you were accused of being a creep before and you're a creep. Now, uh, all these gigs that you get wind up being canceled. Cause you fucking scare the white staff and everything. It's like, you know what? As much as you have leveraged your ability to create shows throughout the Chicagoland area, I don't think I can be associated with you anymore. Uh, I think one of the last phone calls I had with him was like, please lose my phone number. <laughs> so I don't know what his, uh, he's gonna, uh, he did you, a Ted you, talk. You, you, you talk. Did he? Yeah. In 2020 on, uh, about what foraging, uh, plants and stuff about what career options you have after you've embarrassed yourself in front of a city and have a criminal history. <laughs> What kind of non what kind of non taxable income can you create for yourself <laughs> when you've been blacklisted by uh, the government? Yeah, it really took some weird turns in there about what 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 your career options are when there's boxes you can't you have to check on a form for employment. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, when I was going around telling my neighbors what I'd done, I noticed there was a lot of edible dandelion leaves in their yard. So I figured this was just a logical side side hustle to what I was obligated by the law to do anyway. <laughs> yeah, foraging works when the government says you got to walk around your neighborhood introducing yourself anyway. <laughs> oh, 
what could you find in the cracks of a sidewalk on a government <laughs> yeah. mandated an, an awful lot when you're avoiding eye contact with your neighbors <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i all i know is that the dude apparently was a creep came back was booking shows i wanted shows would do the shows and be like wow man for everybody knowing what you did you sure are acting creepy towards everybody around yeah. you still yeah so I, I can't I, I don't know what what's going on, but I think I don't think you're like a good guy. Speaking of creepy, were you around for the much of the crocious stalker shit? I, that was one of those things I was always I'm always like missing it by a minute. I love <laughs> drama that has I love drama that has nothing to do with me. Yeah, yeah. And I was always missing what was like like the night I don't go, I'll go like three, three Mondays out of four. I go in a month to live. The, the month I don't go there is when there's some lady wrapping herself in saran wrap and pouring hot fudge over her nude body. People have been fighting over this. Like, did she do that the night that she blew the picture up of him? Or was that a nine 11 thing? Like these stories, like I love these before my time stories. Cause like, you know, first of all, comedians tell amazing fucking stories. And second of all, like, it's kind of like a wild era. It feels wilder than even when I was there. Well, that's, I've talked with people about that. It's like, how much of this, like, when you realize, like, we celebrate, like, boy, these were some nutty times. You realize, like, oh, man, all we did was get a window into everybody's undiagnosed mental illness before yeah. it spun into them losing control of their lives. Yeah. Early open mic, like, like, people in their 20s, with no responsibilities yeah. and a lot of free drinks and a, a, an open form to say what they want. It's like now, 20 years later, I'm like, I guess we could have seen a lot of this coming. And, and to say 20 years later, Hey man, maybe Dave odd got his shit together and has reconciled with the war, with his past. So, you know, uh, not really sorry for making jokes at his expense now, but also, Fuck, what if you never let anybody live anything right, down that they've yeah. done if they've tried? But I don't know if he's tried. So right. I don't know. I don't know about that. I know other people in the scene where it's like, oh, you have not been getting the help that you need. And now we're looking at the results of what was previously a fringe personality yeah. that was fun to watch. And that's like with so many stand-ups now. How much are we encouraging behavior? And I like I wasn't like like close friends with Brody Stevens, but then stand up right. with him. Right. But it's like what we're like. The, hala- the hilarious part of him was the madness. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we're celebrating that because it's like God forbid, like oh, he just had a great set, and everybody's laughing. But why? Is it because yeah. he was in con- because the pilot was in the cockpit the whole time and in charge of what was happening, or is that? the day in between new meds that we get to reap the benefits of this individual behaving this way. But that individual is slowly sacrificing their well-being for this like momentary adulation that other comics are giving them. But these other comics aren't calling the next day to be like, Hey man, are you okay? How are you? It's like, no, we only see each other at a bar. We are only checking in with each other on times when we're out being social and trying to be in a good mood around other people and also like make other people laugh. We're not checking in on them like 10 AM Wednesday morning. How are you now in this moment in your life? 
Also in Chicago, so, on top of unchecked mental illness, is just a culture of fucking booze. I mean, like, I don't, you know, like, that can't help it, the situation. Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't realize until I left. No, me either. And other other people would visit Chicago and be like, you guys drink. I'm like, well, yeah. That's there was a guy like named being him. angry. There wasn't three bars for every intersection in the city. There was a guy named Grant Pardee, and he's like, "I want to drink with you, Chicago yeah. guys. I want to drink." Yeah. And he had like two, yeah. three. He had like four beers, threw up, passed out. Like we woke him up, and we were still drinking, like watching football or something. And he's like, "You guys are fucking crazy." <laughs> and we're like, "All right," and we yeah. were. Yeah, we probably were. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm assuming yourself included. How many people are now sober? from that scene i mean i heard hannibal doesn't drink anymore i don't know like clinger clinger i just saw a thing he posted he's been sober seven years I'm hannibal sorry. stopped drinking i'm at four uh you're at four yeah congratulations man thank you so oh geary told a story about the chicago comedy festival do you remember geary putting you up maybe at zany's convincing dan carlson to put you up that was a big moment. Uh, that that was like the end of the fest. Kind of everybody drop in and do five minutes at Zany's. Yeah. And I had volunteered to work at the fest. I destroyed the transmission on one of those Mercedes SUVs because those were the rental cars to pick people up from the airport. So I was doing that. I'd never seen like what the shift when it can go horizontal and stuff oh, right. i just remember being on lakeshore drive going from like four to one to three like just destroying but it's a german engineering is i'm sure it was fine but uh at the end of the festival everybody's like i'm like i got to do five minutes and it actually it like it was like a quick because i get introduced like this guy you probably saw this guy pick you up from the airport like i wasn't on any showcases and so the expectations were set very low but it was a good mood because it's the end of a fun festival that yeah. festival was fucking great and I did, I did well, you know, I did all my greatest hits and it, it, I got some, like one agent gave me a card and I remember being like calling her every day, not knowing why she would like, like, so like, like, what do you want to do? I'm like, ah, you know, tell me, you just tell me what I got to do. I want to be a comedian. So you tell me what I can do. She's like, that's not really how it works. Like, oh. When we look back and we all think that we screwed up our careers by not saying the right things to agents and managers, it's agents and managers that can fucking suck our assholes because do your job. You want to make money? Get me into a position to make money. I'm a good stand-up. Get me in a position where people need a good stand-up. Yeah. It's yeah. again the Hedberg bit about, you know, do you can act, you farm? do you write? Yeah. 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 Can you like right there, that lesson, that joke was a lesson to anybody that wants to be a stand-up. Yeah. Just stop thinking you're gonna be a famous stand-up. Start thinking like I want to be an auto mechanic. Are you gonna be a famous auto mechanic? No, I just want to be a good one that people trust and I have steady business until I decide I want to do something else. It's like, no, do, do, what about being good? You don't want to be like, no, I got this sign outside plan. of my restaurant. We serve dog shit in a bowl, but the sign is really great. Yeah. No, my, my auto mechanic, man, it's fucking crazy. It's so fun. Like, are you going to go back to him again? No, nah, no. Nah, but the one time was fun. No, I need, no, I need reliability. I need, I need yeah. loyalty yeah. again, not loyalty from fear, but loyalty. Like, Listen, you trust me as a comic that even if I say something you yeah. disagree with, I'm going to try and for it to be funny. 
Because I don't want to get locked into doing a, a routine where it's like, if I have a change of heart or want to have a, a difference of opinion that right. people aren't going to like me anymore. So that's why it's not political. It's like still going to be funny first, whether you disagree with it. That's a John Roy-ism. Right. Of him saying a good a sign of a good comic is somebody who could say something I disagree with, but make me laugh at the jokers. Yeah. Were you at the den when Carlin the- showed up at all? No, no. I heard about that, though. Oh. I heard about him poking his head. I was there when uh, Craig Gass was there. That was the big... Like it's like three people were like, "This guy's huge. He's from Stern." I'm like, oh shit! So I stuck around. I'm like, oh, he does impersonations. Did you? But like, a... you could tell. Like that, he did as a stand-up set. Even the crowd was like, "No, man, this is the den. We know it's an open mic, but we're used to people bringing shit to this." And he's like, "Well, what if uh, Paul Stanley was uh, ordering a pizza?" Everybody's like, "We don't give a fuck." <laughs> <laughs> and like a regular audience not even comics like who gives a shit of paul stanley let him or let him eat <laughs> fucking dudes from kiss get hungry you got any jokes audience did not give a fuck <sighs> but he was a very nice guy he was like super nice dude yeah but that doesn't cut it there but it was like also like there's no nothing about reputation like if i went back to lions then today i'd be scared oh Man, because I'd be like, if, if it was of the same caliber, they did not give it. It's, matter of fact, if you had a reputation, then the sights were set on you. It's weird. If it was to like me, so-and-so's a headliner. Like, yeah. Oh, fucking, really? Let's see it. When I go back, I every time they're like, this guy's from L.A., I'm like, fuck. Because <laughs> now they're like, you know, like, oh, what, what the fuck is up with you? But also as a testament to how good the comics are in the city still. Yeah. It's like I did a Maddie Ryan's show. Parlor? I did Parlor Car, but the, yeah. the outdoor one. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, I was like, had maybe the third best set of the night. And I was fine with my placement on them, like deservedly so. <laughs> this is an excellent free lineup of comedy in Chicago. And that's what's great about yeah. doing stand up there. One of the funny things to me about like the late nineties, early two thousands, like alt scene, is that there were a lot of like headbutting and stuff like that, like on the haha board and stuff like that. For sometimes seventeen people in the crowd at these shows, like whereas the South Side, like these guys are doing like Sunday nights at Riddles, putting like five hundred people through the door and like. Mm-hmm. D-Ray getting robbed at gunpoint like with $20,000 really? in a bag. And really? Did I you hear about that. Did you have like an opinion of the South Side shows or was it completely segregated and separate? <clears throat> I had done riddles and again it was one of those like old old school attitudes where I was like Oh yeah, fuck all this. Like I don't need. It's like when I got to L.A. and they're like, "Well, you got to stand in line for three hours to open mic at the Laugh Factory, and then Jamie Masada is going to tell you what kind of fucking costume you need to get from the Halloween store for the next time you come back." Like you're a cowboy, you're an astronaut. Like he's going to try and village person your career into comedy off of whichever bit is your strongest. I'm like, nope. I know I moved to L.A. for this, but this method is, uh, in my opinion utter dog shit and we don't have to play by these rules so when i went to riddles and whatever fucking mafia holdover down there 
is making me stay till three in the morning to get my twenty dollars a set to MC. I was like, "Fuck this, man!" I already see open mics and see the independently produced shows. I'm not trying to get famous through fucking riddles. Right. I'm trying to get good. So fuck this place. And I think many other people had that opinion. Unfortunately, if you want to be a working comic, you had to put up with that shit. I was never trying to be a working comic. I just wanted to get good at comedy. I wasn't going to quit a day job to go make $75 in Sheboygan and have to drive myself there and put myself up and get back. That was not the goal. So I had the chips in my favor of like, these clubs did not possess anything I wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to get I want to get good at comedy, and then have clubs go. We need you to come to our club. Yeah, I remember. I like I don't know if that was a place of fear for me or fucking what, because Dave Odd would be like, "You have to do these shitty shows that I run in order to get good." Because are you gonna? What if you show up at like butt fuck Indiana and there's only five people there? I remember thinking like I would leave, like. <laughs> Well, and that's what I, I, I learned more. And I've probably said this in the past, but I've learned more from watching what I don't want to be than yeah. any. You can, oh, I want to be like Mitch, like fucking, you can wish your way into success of like, but you can see what went wrong for other people and learn from that. Yeah. So I would see the dudes that would come back to Lions Den on Monday after having been on the road, emceeing wherever because they quit their job and now they have to take whatever gig they can do. And now they're up 25th at an open mic going, how's everybody doing? We drinking a night? Like motherfucker. No, that's MC work. Get into it. Get into your material here. You're going to do five minutes just to get adulation. Like where's your bits, man. Remember we all come here with new bits and you know, I remember like, Eric Acosta and like Kumail and I like, Oh, Hey, can you watch my set this week? Cause I got a new bit that I really want to try. Could you like, and like being really concerned about the quality of the material. Yeah. And these dudes would just come back and just do the crowd work kind of like, Oh, you're fucked now. Now you're, now you're, now you're getting trained to be that MC that Zanies wants, but that's not the same as being the, like, a good comedian not you can be a good MC and a good comedian but what are you at an open mic are you just here to try and get laid so that's what you're gonna do like the get a good smirk and ask, get everybody like cheer about partying but then there's no material anymore and I never wanted to do that I'm like no I'll make as much money I mean granted also I my sacrifice I fucking lived at home till I was 26 right right so I'm like right. I could save I could do my day job I could save my money and then I could do whatever I want on stage at open mics and local showcases and not worried about needing $75 in the free meal that weekend. So I'm talking to Acosta tomorrow. Do you have any good Acosta uh, memories? I remember him and Ryan Ridley shooting their. I didn't know what a mockumentary was at the time, so I wasn't sure how to do it. But then when I oh, saw right. it, like it Verve like, or something like, like that. Yeah. Vive. It was Vive. Vive. And seeing him like, oh, wait, I was like, you guys are on another level. Like, much like comedy, I didn't know how to start comedy. I'm like, yeah, but I don't know how you make a movie. <laughs> and these guys made like a really funny thing. I'm like, oh, this is why the acting thing, it could be fun because it's yeah. all your friends making a silly thing. Yeah, I should take that more seriously. But I just remember Acosta being this like 
was always him and Kumail and I were was like getting into trouble after shows and everything. <laughs> he was also another dude that was like just weird energy, but he came from music from like punk rock stuff. Eric. So did? once I learned that, yeah, he was in bands that I'd go see and knew all the same bands. And he's a drummer. He's like a really good drummer. And that it know. was one of those things like where we're like, oh man, doesn't it feel kind of weird that we like comedy now? And so we kind of it was this like Oh yeah, I guess. And it, it, seeing him and knowing that he would be at the same shows made me realize, like, oh yeah, comedy is changing. Like these uh-huh. shows, like all the like Lincoln Lodge and everything. These are the fun shows. Going down to Riddles, and it's like again, everybody doing the how's everybody doing? We're drinking and like getting people to have fun, but getting people to like your comedy. I remember walking on stage on a St. Patrick's Day weekend at Riddles, which is on the south side of Chicago, but fucking Irish south side, not black south side. So Irish crowd at this particular night on St. Patrick's Day and walking up to the mic to MC, I'm already bad with energy. And I just hear, nice coat, faggot. And uh, I told him my car broke down. I didn't go back the next day. And now that the story be is that The story ch- is you turned around and walked out to your car and left. And I... I guess well, no, no. I, I still had to do. I still had to do. I still had to MC that night, and then the next day I'm like, my car's broken. I can't MC because <sighs> I was like, oh, this is of no value to me. Right. I don't. I know people think that it's Eric. Like you have to. You need to know these skills. You need to know how to deal with shitty hecklers. I'm like, no, I don't. That's what. That's why fucking OSHA exists for jobs because bosses were like. You need to deal with like a hot molten steel being dumped on your head occasionally. And then OSHA came in like, no, we should change the workplace environment. So you shouldn't have to deal with it. And I am on that side of like, no, the club should make sure that they tell these assholes to shut the fuck up. And if they don't, they'll be kicked out because we like comedy more than we like uh, the two Bud Lights you're going to (laughs) buy and then ruin the show for everybody. No and comedy should be to, uh, comedy should be Upton Sinclair's The Jungle at all times. Yeah, I I hated that from the get go of like you need to learn how to deal with this. No, no, I don't. Clubs need to run a better business. Otherwise, I'll just go do these cool shows that are fun. Because again, you don't have the power over me because I'm not trying to make a living off this yet. Right. You're you think you're dangling money in front of me. Right. And you're not. Or opportunity, and you're not. That whole thing with Zanies is like, man, that's the club, though. You get in there, and that's where people see you. I don't give a shit. Like, that's, I was already doing music and seeing bands play the best show ever to 30 people in a bowling alley that smelled like diarrhea down the street. You're not going to get me with like fame and fortune. That's not the goal here. So, these old club owners going, this is the game you got to play. You want to wait for your check. You're going to wait till 3 a.m. till I pay out everybody and just sit here and watch TV because it's a power game. Here's your power game. Find a new MC for Saturday. Fuck your club. I don't care if you burn this place for the insurance money or as uh, Mick Betancourt would say, why don't you go catch a case of Greek lightning? <laughs> Still love that phrase. <laughs> oh, um, no, you didn't hear about it? They got, they got hit by some Greek lightning. Who are you? Um... would burn down. <laughs> Who were you hanging out with the most? When I first started, I think it was, you know, Kumail started around the same time and Pete Holmes 
and Pete was still pretty clean, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. would drink and would like, we'd, you know, smoke pot and what have you. And, uh, like I, I remember Acosta being the crew and then Bryce was a Bryce and CJ came along and then I was usually pals. Matt Andrews was my guy. Monty, I would hang out with like recre. He would be on the burbs for stuff sometimes, and I would hang yeah. out and just kick it with Monty. M- Monty also knew like old punk bands from Chicago too, so he's kind of like would know part of that scene. Br- Bronger, obviously. Um, what year but did I think you Matt move? Matt Andrews was the guy. Two thousand three. Two thousand three, yeah, summer of two thousand three. There was a dumb rift between sketch improv people and stand up. Yeah, and it was like, man, we are fighting over something that is non-existent you guys did you have people that did both like we had brady and vaderod and tj and did but brady was yeah brady and vaderod are around and i must have just missed you then i guess i mean when did you get there january 2004 is when i started going to shows okay yeah i left in 03 and i, I would come back and do the lincoln lodge yeah 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 around my birthday in december and then I'd try and get back in the summertime and maybe I'd get a spot at Chuck or something, but when I was never going back too much. I didn't have enough money to like really just travel around time off of work and stuff. Did you pay attention to what was going on in Chicago? Like much after you moved to LA or were you, I mean, I know you did like we asked you to, or Flannery asked you to be in blurs at some point. I think I asked to be in blurs. I think I saw <laughs> blurs and it was again, it was like seeing these videos. I'm like, Oh wait, they're doing something really good and i was like i would like to be a part of that you know because i thought it was just really good what you guys were doing and it was also one of those things that was like oh you guys are doing this in chicago (laughs) i'm sitting in la just failing night after night and then people got off their heads because like comedy is like you could either like talk about like oh man what a grind getting up like fucking comedians that think they're just like the fucking traveling prophets like the <laughs> grind oh god fucking uh, whoever's doc road documentary i saw like oh just that oh my god having to get off the plane and on the plane and get to the hotel to do the show <laughs> and then oh it's so fucking tough like oh boohoo your dreams came true whine about it more like, I forget, <laughs> I forget how I got on that, but, but just like it's uh, for Blurred's, uh, we're it, doing it in Chicago. Oh, no, but, oh, because it's like, comedy's inherent. Like, it's also lazy. It's also like, I'm going to go to these three places a week where yeah. all my friends are going to be in a bar yeah. and I'm going to drink with them for five minutes out of that. Yeah. I'm going to try and pursue my career. Yeah. But the rest of the time, the pursuit of comedy is having social engagements with your friend group that you're happy to do yeah it's a it's a hang it's like yeah what did sinatra say you get paid to no sinatra said you get paid to leave no uh you get paid to travel some actor is like you get paid to wait you don't get paid to act yeah or you get paid for the stuff that's annoying about the job but like it is hard to break out of that especially in chicago where you did make all these friends and the shows were fun lions then was fun because it was 35 people on a show and there was an audience and everybody for the most part liked being there. Yeah. And that was their big night out. So 
for a lot of times you're five minutes like ah shit i gotta go do my set hold on i'll be back to yeah, continue, yeah. continue this conversation who so, would you go run to go watch their set oh man i really i sat in the back at lion's den for most of it that's what jeff said jeff said I that thought, you would watch the whole show and people like knew that about you yeah i mean if i'm expecting people to watch my set i'm yeah. gonna watch their set yeah. and also Again, I learned more from what not to do. Like watching somebody successful is great. They lightning in a bottle or unique style or yeah. just inherently funny. But like, oh, that guy said this joke that's like bad subject matter or it's similar to mine. So I know if I'm up in five after the guy, well, I'm not going to say the same joke that I that is similar to that and try and get a good read on this audience. Yeah. Like I wanted to be a good comedian, so I'm gonna study comedy, not the greats, but also what everybody else did. Like going to Zanies when Martine would just let me watch the show, I would see all those eighties headliners, all those yeah. big dudes from the eighties come in and do the same act that they were doing, and they were getting like three or four weeks a year at a club, which people don't realize you usually get one week a year at a club, but because they're local. They'd be every three months and they do the same shit every three months. And it was dated the first time I saw it. Two years later, I'm seeing somebody doing the same headline act with the same dead look in their eyes because they're not, they have no desire to connect to an audience. And I'm watching the audience get younger and give less of a shit about what's happening and realizing, well, this was an expensive, boring night out. And great. Now you've created disinterest in stand up in general. So, why am I going to, you know, I would love to get into Zanies and be like, hey, guys, just to let you know, there's people your age that are doing this and care about it at all these bars and venues across the city. Yeah. But I didn't get that opportunity. So Geary saw it. Geary tried to run, run shows. Dave Odd, for better or worse, yeah. still did book good, com book good comics. Yeah, that was Kyle Kinane. There's still an hour more show over on Patreon.com forward slash brighto beer idea go ahead and hit subscribe on this one that is the show for this week thank you so much for listening r.i.p mcb we love you